church. Welcome to Airline Baptist Church. We're so thankful to have you with us this morning, joining in us in worshiping, worshiping the King who's worthy of all of our praise. Listen, if you're a first-time visitor with us or if you haven't been here in a while, we've got a connection card in the back of that pew. We'd love for you to fill it out, drop it in the plate on its way by, or give it to me, Zach, or Pastor Clint on your way out. We'd love to be able to have that connection with you and be able to, to minister to you in any way that is possible. Something that we started doing, started doing again a couple weeks ago is incorporating offering back into our worship time. Uh, corporately that we that we do this in, in honor of him. A lot of times I know it becomes routine that we we just drop money in there and that's that's fine. But we need to remember that it's a heart thing. That we are that we are giving to the Lord so that we can continue to reach this community, so that we can reach the world for him. So it is worship. It is a time of worship. We worship with more than just our lips and our vocal cords. We worship with our whole lives. So let's do this as an act of worship to our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for allowing us to meet together this morning to worship corporately and to worship you and to sing your praises with our voice. Father, as we come to this time where we, where we worship with our tithes and our offerings, Father, I pray that you'll bless that that you'll bless the things that are given, Father, and that they'll be used for your kingdom and your glory and to raise up a new generation and, uh, of people who follow and believe and, and serve you. Father, be able to be changed and hear your word this morning. We worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
Before we go into the next song, we wanted to just read some scripture and just remind us why we are worshiping, who we are worshiping. And so I'll be reading Revelation 21. It says, Then in a vision I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Descending out of the heavenly realm from the presence of God like a pleasing bride that had been prepared for her husband, adorned for her wedding. And I heard a thunderous voice from the throne saying, look, God's tabernacle is with human beings. And from now on, he will be tabernacled with them as their God. Now God himself will have his home with them. God with them will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and eliminate death entirely. No one will mourn or weep any longer. The pains of wounds will no longer exist. For the old order has ceased, and God enthroned spoke to me and said, Consider this, I am making everything to be new and fresh. Write down at once all that I have told you, because each word is trustworthy and dependable. Then he said to me, It has been accomplished, for I am the elf and the taff, the beginning and the end, I will give water to all who are thirsty as my gracious gift they will continuously drink from the fountain of living water. The conquering ones will inherit these gifts from me. I will continue to be their God and they will continue to be children with me. Let's continue to worship. Divide. 
up the blood was supplied for us, God. And that you have been using Zach this past few weeks just to remind us of the gospel and what the gospel is. And the message that tells us that you made a way for us out of your great love for us when there was a chasm that was so, so wide. And we thank you for that. We thank you for this morning to gather and worship together through songs, through giving, and through opening your word, through fellowship with our other believers. Thank you. We give you this time. Father, we just pray you continue to speak now as we open your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to see you this morning. Appreciate Quez and the band for leading us in worship. As just as we talked about last week, we focused on the idea of redemption. And so to be able to gather together as a corporate body of believers and to sing about that cross, to sing about the blood being applied to our lives. Because really that's the only thing that unites us. If we were to gather together because we all have the same likes and hobbies, there wouldn't be very many of us here. You would have on this side people that like tomato sandwiches. I figured I just had to say that one more time. And then you would have all the normal people on the other side that didn't like tomato sandwiches. Emphasis on the normal people not liking tomato sandwiches. I'm just kidding. But it's because we are blood-bought saints, we can gather together. And so that's what we're doing this morning, is we are gathering together, not as perfect people who have lives perfectly put together, but rather sinners who have been purchased and redeemed by Christ. That is why we gather. And so just to recap where we've been, we've been asking the question, what is the gospel? And so a few weeks ago, we began answering the question by really looking at the overarching meta narrative of the scripture. So we went all the way back to the book of Genesis where we had creation and then we had fall. And then we looked at last week, the idea of redemption that God created and it was good. And everything was right, and its creation was in right relationship with its creator. And then in chapter 3, the fall happens, and all of a sudden, brokenness enters in. The creation is no longer in right relationship with its creator. Sin has entered the But as the fall takes place, 
but issues that he is going to send one who would make all things right. And that's what we looked at last week, that we have the darling son of God who robes himself in flesh, comes to the earth and offers himself as a sacrifice to make all things right. And because of that, into right relationship with our creator. And so the last movement is the idea of consummation or restoration. And so this is, we have creation, fall, redemption, and really redemption is the hinge upon which all of this history turns. And now we are looking ahead, we are looking forward to that consummation when all things are finally made right. And so what do I mean by consummation today? I mean that consummation is the, the final act of the kingdom of God being fully realized. This is Christ's return, the final judgment, the ushering in of the eternal state. Now, if you'll just bear with me for just a moment, I think it's important to chase just this one rabbit. That's my goal is to just chase one rabbit today. Meet my goal or not. But when we talk about this, I'm not talking about a particular eschatological view. Okay, so I'm not arguing for a particular view. So if you came here today expecting to hear a breakdown of end times prophecy, you will be surely disappointed. That's not my goal. Because here's, here's my view on eschatology, end time stuff, is that one of the things that we have to do is properly categorize doctrine that there are primary levels of doctrine. This is top tier. This is stuff that defines you as Christians. This is the thing that we must agree on in order to be Christian. And so this is deity of Christ, Trinity, those types of things. Those are primary. They are salvific. They are gospel central. They define us as Christians. And there's secondary and these are doctrines that define us as our particular tribe or denomination. So there are certain things as Baptists that we convictionally hold. So as Baptists, we do not believe in paedo-baptism. By us believing that, are we saying that denominations that practice that are not Christian? No, we wouldn't say that at all. They certainly are Christian, but it is our conviction based on studying the scriptures that we do not hold to that. And so that would be a secondary level of doctrine. But then you have the third level, the tertiary level. These are things that are personal convictions, but should not break fellowship between each other. So when it comes to eschatology, there are certainly things that are primary. So we must believe that Christ is returning for his bride, right? And that he's going to judge the living and the dead. And that he's going to usher in the eternal state. 
Those are primary level beliefs. Now hear me this morning, don't, don't run me out of the room. The exact order of all of those things is not a primary level belief. So whether or not Christ returns before the millennium or after the millennium, whether the millennium is a literal thousand years or a figurative thousand years, those topics are, should not separate us as believers. Because whether someone is a amillennialist, a premillennialist, or a postmillennialist, we all believe that Christ is returning for his bride and is going to usher in the eternal state. So we can all agree on that. And it's important for us to define those things. Because we can have the tendency to elevate some of those things to primary when they're really not primary. They're secondary or tertiary. So when we talk about the consummation of all things, I'm not arguing for a particular eschatological point of view. I'm arguing that Christ is going to return. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And he's going to bring about the eternal state. That's what we're talking about this morning when we talk about the consummation of all things. And so because of the cross, we look forward to when that day comes. And so there's a few texts we're going to look at this morning. So before we get there, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We left off here last week. And as you're turning there, let's open up in a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you. And God, we give you this time. God, would you speak to us? God, we stand as people desperately in need of hearing from your word. And so, God, would you speak and would we have ears to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. So if you remember last week, we left off in Romans 8. And if we would have continued reading, we would have saw how Paul really kind of unpacks this idea of being heirs with Christ. And that we have been adopted and we can cry out, Abba, Father. So where we pick up, I want us to see this idea that consummation is the restoration of God's purposes. Consummation is the restoration of God's purposes. And so just as we talked about in the fall that things are broken, even creation itself is broken. So Romans 8, starting at verse 18, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What's he talking about? Christ returning, bringing about the eternal state. That the sufferings that he is enduring, the difficulties of life he is going through, he says, when I begin to think about that, that these things in the present are as nothing. Not even that there is nothing, they're not even worth comparing. Like, it's not even worth comparing the difficulties of the present to what is to come. See, this is why this is important in understanding the gospel. 
Because when we understand the idea that Christ is returning, and we talk about it all the time, right? That Christ is going to return and heaven is our home and all of those things. But do we truly live like it? Because he says, I think about now and I think about later on down the road and they're not even worth comparing. So these sufferings in this present time are not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Then notice what he says, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Notice he says even creation itself is under Bondage. And that even creation itself, in the midst of all of its brokenness, is longing for the day in which it will be freed. And he uses rather detailed language. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until. Now, I have not been one to experience childbirth, if you could tell. But based on what I have seen and heard, it seems like a rather painful experience. Just third-party observation there. And this is the imagery that Paul uses to talk about what's going on in creation that it is longing for the day in which all will be made right. He says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now notice that language that Paul uses, that we are even waiting for this, that we as believers are eagerly awaiting this day in which Christ returns and makes all things right and restores his created order and restores his purposes in creation. He says, and we even wait, what does he say? For adoption as Sons. Now, this is interesting. Why? Because if we were to go back to that section of 12 through 17, he says we've already been given the spirit of adoption. So, what is he talking about? This is what's known in the New Testament as the tension between the already and the not yet. This is why the New Testament can speak of salvation in past tense, present tense, and future tense. That, yes, we have been saved, and we are being saved, and we will be saved. That the New Testament uses that language all throughout. 
And so, yes, we have been adopted as sons when we are redeemed and purchased and justified. We come in as adopted sons and daughters of the king. But we must understand there will be the day when that is fully realized. You see, yes, we are adopted sons and daughters of the king. But hear me, there will be the day when we finally sit at the table with our father. When all things are consummated and the eternal state is ushered in. He says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He says, we haven't seen it yet. Hasn't been revealed yet. Our eyes haven't laid eyes on it. And if our eyes could lay eyes on it, it's not hope anymore. He says, we hope because we haven't seen it. And we wait with patience. So here's what I want us to see from this. That God is restoring through this consummation of the kingdom. He is restoring his original purposes to have a creation itself that is back in right relationship with him. And all of that is achieved where? At the cross. That's when it's purchased, back at the cross. So God is restoring his purposes through this consummation. But then quickly we flip over to 2 Corinthians And consummation is the restoration of God's purposes, but then second, it's the restoration of God's people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse number 1. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. Do you hear the same type of language that Paul uses back in Romans? That we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. As believers, we recognize, we long for this, we groan for this, we recognize something is broken, something is not right, and we long for the day when all things are made right. He says, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Notice we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ And we long for more of that. 
Because we all recognize it and we realize it, right? Even though we are saved and we are being sanctified, that there is still that part of us that goes astray. There is still that part of us that desires those things outside of following Christ. And we recognize that and we want to deal with that. And we're all going to have that battle and that wrestle until when we see Christ. So we long more and more to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he says, he who has prepared us for this very thing, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. I love this word guarantee. We've talked about it before. It's the Greek word arabon. It means a down payment or earnest money. How is God going to see us through? Because he's given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and lives inside of me is going to finish the job that he started. That's the down payment of what is to come. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee how do I know that God is going to finish the job that he began in my life? Because he's given the Holy Spirit. And so what does Paul say in response to this? So we are always of good courage. Like this is Paul saying this. The guy who's dealing with persecution, being beaten for the faith, being shipwrecked, being all of that stuff. And yet he's saying we are of good courage. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been given as the guarantee that God will not forget. That God will not end his journey that God will see Paul through to the finish line. The Holy Spirit is present for all of that. He says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For while we walk, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Again, we, we know this type of language going back to Romans. He says, yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That we all have this recognition in our lives. That yes, we're here, but we would rather be there. And so what do we do with that tension that we recognize we're here, but we're, we have a home there? He says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So whether God still has you here, it should be your aim to please him. That if God still has you here, he has a purpose and a reason and an intention that there, is still, there are still things that you can do that are pleasing to him. 
So whether we are home or away, our aim is to please him. Notice what he says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The day will come when each and every single one of us will stand before Christ to give an account for our lives. Whether it's good or evil, that that day will come. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. So what is consummation? It's the restoration of God's purposes. So all of creation is groaning for this. All of creation is recognizing something is broken and not right. But then not only is it just God's purpose, but it's God's people. Just as we saw here that we recognize something is broken. We recognize we're not home yet. This isn't the final stop. That there's something more. There's something greater. And we long for that, but we're not there yet. It's what do we do? We live on this side of eternity, seeking to please him. Why? Because we recognize eternity will come. And we're going to have to stand before Christ to give an account for what we did on this side of eternity. So what is consummation? The restoration of God's purposes and God's people. But then lastly, we read this passage just earlier, Revelation 21. It's the restoration of God's presence. Revelation 21. God's purposes, God's people, and then lastly, God's presence. John says this in his apocalypse, his vision of heaven. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. I love this term, dwelling place. It's actually in, in the, the translation that Quez read. It literally means to tabernacle with. Drawing off the imagery from the Old Testament when it was the tabernacle that contained the presence of God, that in order to get to the presence of God, one must go through all of this sacrificial system to enter into that holy place where God's presence would dwell. And so what happens by the time the new heavens and the new earth comes? It's no longer a tabernacle needing to contain the presence of God. But in this act of consummation, that relationship is rightly restored. 
where God's presence is no longer contained in a tabernacle built by hands, but his presence is with man. He says he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He's going to be with his people. He's going to be their God. He says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That as God restores all the brokenness that we experience on this side of eternity will simply be a faint memory there. That they're going to be gone. It says he wipe away every tear, but there's not going to be any more crying. Why? Because there's nothing there to cry about. There's nothing there to mourn about. All the things on this side of eternity that cause us to mourn, all the things on this side of eternity that break us down will be gone when God restores the right relationship. He says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Here Jesus is telling John, be sure to write this down. Like John's already writing everything down. But Jesus here wants him to be sure he gets this. He says, he said to me, it is is done. That it's accomplished. It is finished. That there's nothing more to do. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Jesus, how do we know that we'll conquer? You've been gifted the Holy Spirit. How do you know that you're going to finish the race? You've been gifted the Holy Spirit. Isn't that just crazy? That all of it from start to finish, God saves you. He places the Holy Spirit inside of you. That you can have this inheritance. To be restored back in right relationship. To be able to dwell in God's presence for eternity. But he gives this warning. He says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, 
their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. But understand, what is the difference? For, the, for those folks that are in verses 1 through 7, what is the difference? They come under the blood of Christ. Will there be murderers in heaven? Yes, those who repented and believed in Christ. Will there be sexually immoral in heaven? Yes, those who repented and believed in Christ. We could go all the way down this list. Will there be liars in heaven? I sure hope so. <laughs> Why? Because they came. Is the entrance fee into heaven of never doing any of those sins? No. None of us would ever stand a chance. That's why for all of us, we all come in under the blood of Jesus. No matter whether our past was filled with religious activity or outright rebellion, we all come in under the blood of Jesus. There is no distinction. So he gives this warning. And so this final act as God finishes all things, as God consummates all things, he restores his, his purposes for creation. He, he restores his people. And lastly, there is a restoration of his presence. That just as we sung that we were far off and he has brought us near to him. So this brings us to our central idea this morning. The consummation of the kingdom is the final realization of all God has accomplished to restore all things to himself. The consummation of the kingdom is the final realization of all God has accomplished to restore all things to himself. That at the end of time, we will sit back and marvel at all that God did to reconcile a broken creation, to reconcile a creation that was in outright rebellion against him, to reconcile them back to himself. But that's what's going to take place. And so fourth key takeaways this morning as we prepare to close. And we'll throw them up on the screen. First, we live in the light of knowing Christ is the victorious king. We should live that way. Like Christ wins. Like that should stir something in our soul right there, right? That in the end of time, Christ is king. And there's no doubt about it. There's no let's wait and see how things shake out. 
There's an important election coming up that may or may not impact Christ's kingship. No, Christ is the victorious king. He wins in the end. Which brings us to the second application. We, will, we have peace in difficulty knowing evil will be eradicated. What gives us peace on this side of eternity? That evil does not have the final say. It doesn't. Every bit of brokenness that you and I experience, every injustice that we experience, every time we are wronged by someone else, that is not the final say. Every ounce of evil in God's creation will be eradicated and made right. We should live that way. But then point number three, we have a sober mind knowing we will stand before Christ one day. That every single one of us will stand before Christ, and that should be a sobering reality to us. That should draw our attention. And like just, just to give you an example, in my life, the day will come when I will stand before Christ and give an account for how I pastured Airline Baptist Church. Can I just be honest, that is far more sobering than getting a phone call from the chairman of the deacons. <laughs> Why? Because I'm gonna have to give an account to Christ. And all of us, how we approach our jobs, how we approach our families. It should be a sobering reality. Not that we stand in judgment. Why? Because again, we're coming under the blood of Christ. But I'm going to have to stand before Christ and give an account for how I led my family, how I loved my wife, how I loved my children. But then lastly, number four, we leverage what is temporary in light of what is eternal. Simply put, we should live in light of eternity. As the band comes back to the stage, we prepare to wrap up. What do I mean by this? Why don't, why don't we spend all this time talking about the consummation of all things and how, what role does that have in the gospel? Because I'm afraid far too often we live in light of what is temporary. And you've probably seen this, this illustration before. That, that'll be okay. But I have some little, little yarn here. Okay. At the end of this, this yarn little blue piece of tape. Little blue piece of tape. And let's say this little blue piece of tape represents 70, 80 years of life on average. Some of us more, some of us less. 
but 70, 80 years right there. And then once that 70, 80 years is done, then comes eternity. And what is done here is going to impact this. And you see, that's rather long. Come here, Kirk. Take, take that side. So here we have these little 70, 80 years. And then we, okay, so still 70 or 80, just, just for scale. Keep, keep going, Kirk. So if this is 70 or 80 years, so that's a little while into eternity, right? You're, you're good, right? I, th I think we get it. But you see, this is just the beginning of eternity. And we don't have enough twine to really emphasize infinity. But here's my question. Are we leveraging for this? Are we living this 70 to 80 in light of this? You see, I'm afraid far too often we dedicate our lives to sacrificing this so that we can have a little bit more pleasure, a little bit more enjoyment in this. How crazy is that? But what would happen, church, if we as a group of believers said we want to leverage this, we want to sacrifice this, we want to lay this down for the sake of that, that my time, my talents, my treasures, all of that, I'm laying that down for the sake of this. What if we laid this down and we lived in light of this? You see, this is just a blip. This is just a fraction of this. So what if we chose to say, I'm going to live in light of eternity? You see, this is why understanding the consummation of all things is important because it refocuses us to remind us that this is not it. This is not the purpose of our existence. This is. This is just the blip. This is why we exist. So as we prepare to close, Questions rather simple. 
Are we leveraging this for all of this? Or are we leveraging all of this for this? What are we leveraging? So as we close, if you want to come pray, this altar is open. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be standing to the side. Pastor Clint will be standing to the side as well. But let's examine, are we living this for the sake of this, or are we living this in light of all of this? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, would you speak to us now? Speak to our hearts. God, help us to examine what it is we are living, what it is we are leveraging. Are we living the temporary in light of eternity? So God, be with us now. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond today.
quick. If I don't start on the right date, I'll not get any of these dates correct. So this Wednesday is the second. Is that right, Kirk? That's right. Okay. So this Wednesday is the second. We do not have anything going on on campus this Wednesday on the second. On the ninth, we will meet for prayer. Um, as we look forward to the, the new classes that we've got and just starting off a new semester, we will meet for prayer on the 9th here, um, I believe it, <clears throat> at 6 o'clock or 6.30, we will meet for that. Then on the 12th, as it's incorrect, on the 16th, we will meet uh, for our back-to-school bash here in, uh, we'll be in the parking lot. A lot of you have already signed up to help us with that. We really appreciate it. If you've got any questions about that, please come see Heather or I, and we will, we will help, um, help us all understand what we're going to do that evening. Um, and then the following Wednesday, we will kick off our new class. Uh, it'll be how, do, how Did We Get the Bible? Brother Zach will be bringing that. We'll have our student ministry things going, and we will also have our children's things kicking back off on that night. So that's what we've got going on. On the 12th, we do have um, a little work day here. I believe it's 9 to 12. We've got some, some things we need to clean up, mainly on the, on the inside uh, of the church. There won't be a lot outside, hopefully, where we're real hot and sweating to death. But hopefully, some of it will be in the inside and the AC. I believe that's it. If I've missed anything, please see your one sheet that you get when you come in in the mornings. And I believe everything will be on there. Church, I love you. It's an honor to serve with you, and I look forward to what God is doing in our lives and in our church and in our community. Let's pray, and then we can be dismissed. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your love and your kindness toward us. Father, for giving us a hope for us knowing that this life and its temporal things and its pains and its sufferings and the agony that we have here on this earth it is not eternal. You have defeated all of those things and are victorious, and we get to spend eternity with you. Those of us that are in you, in Christ, will spend eternity with you, worshiping you, and being by your side. So, Father, we, we look forward to that. We hope in that. It, that will be a wonderful day when that takes place, Father. Father, watch over us. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. For each passing moment as we go out, let us be a witness for you. Let us be a light. Let us change our community through you. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.